we have the privilege of turning once again to God's Word, one of the most important things we can do on a regular basis. So turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. <clears throat> Mark 1, 29 through 45. As I turn there, perhaps you might be reminded that you, like many Americans, may have a desire to flock to fame and celebrity. And yet, at the same time, as Americans, we seem to desire to see that these famous are somehow just like us. But Mark's portrait of Jesus is this. They all flocked to the celebrity of Jesus, not because he was just like us, but because he was unlike us. And his popularity... Unfortunately, as we read through the book of Mark, will eventually lead to mockery. Follow along as I read this conclusion of chapter 1, verses 29 through 46, or 45 rather, uh, including particularly three events in the life of Jesus and his ministry. Immediately, Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. As we consider this word, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, I am thankful this morning that you have sent men to help lead like Wayne who has led worship this morning. I pray that you will encourage us all to be reminded of your glory and your grace and your many blessings, even as we hear your word. And Father, give us ears to hear it and hearts to understand it, that we might apply it to our daily lives, and we might be reminded of your precious promises. May all the words spoken here, all the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, or else never be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, I know this isn't the story that's in the scripture, but I want to begin with a reminder of a very familiar story to many of you who've read the Bible. That is the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. There is, 
An Israelite who goes, and as he goes down the road, he is caught by a thief, he's beaten, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And of course, as Jesus tells this story, you know that first of all, there are two individuals who go by, a priest and a Levite. They go by and they see this man that's on the side of the road, beaten, perhaps dead. And rather than interrupt their lives, they walk by on the other side. Well, this story, as Jesus tells it, is calling out those, first of all, who lack compassion. Now, of course, this is unlike Jesus, the storyteller. The second part of this is that he calls out those who refuse to be bothered or interrupted. We know what that's like. Sometimes if we're parents and our kids come to us and they have things they want us to do and we're very busy, we want to just shoo them away, right? And, of course, we do that in the workplace. We do that in different places in our lives. But that's unlike Christ, too. And thirdly, he calls out those who want to do religion in their own way. These priests and Levites forgot the call to mercy. They were doing things their own way, following their own rules and their own efforts, unlike Christ's call for perfect obedience. I have to say, if you're like me, sometimes I'm like the priest or the Levite. But that's how Jesus is unique. He's neither the priest nor the Levite because he has true compassion true humility, and true obedience. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, we see, first of all, that people like the, the one that the Samaritan rescued are needy. People are needy. Secondly, we find that Jesus, unlike the priest and the Levite, came to serve. And finally, we find out that faith Faith, in a way, is very dangerous. So first of all, a reminder of your needs. We are a needy people. This is an everyday occurrence. Jesus has just, if you look earlier in the chapter, he has just healed a man in the synagogue. He has taught in such a way that they were amazed at his teaching. They have left the synagogue, according to verse 29, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, along with his friends and disciples, James and John. And we find out an everyday problem here. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. We don't know what kind of illness it is. We do know that in those days, sometimes they considered a fever, not to be a symptom of many different diseases, but even a disease unto itself. In fact, the idea here is that it may have been a very serious illness. And so she has this fever lying in the bed. Now this is an everyday thing because in one way it reveals to us what evidently may have been a Sabbath lunch custom for the people that are there, particularly Jesus and his disciples. In fact, some who read these Gospels will say that they think that this house of Simon and Andrew might have been a home base in the region of Galilee for Jesus. Different events occur in that region and perhaps particularly in that house. This is an everyday thing. Now the state of Peter's mother-in-law was such that she could not get up and do the things that she would normally do. She might have been in a deathly state. We don't know. 
And yet, Mark does not record much about this healing. It just says, they told him about her. And then verse 31, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, it's interesting, if you were to read both Matthew and Luke on this topic, you will note that Matthew says he touched her. Mark here says he took her by the hand. And Luke says merely that he rebuked the fever. But the idea here is it's a simple healing. Now, I say simple not because any one of us could do that, because we can't. But it's simple in the sense that he could say it or touch her or take her by the hand or probably all three of those things. And immediately it tells us she began to wait on them or to serve them. What a wonderful illustration of Jesus' power. But these everyday, pro everyday problems are followed by a little event here in verses 32 through 34 of unusual problems. At sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Now, one of the things that you might have noticed here, why do they mention evening? Well, the people of the day would have recognized that if they had problems to take care of, those who were the religious leaders of the day would not have permitted them to deal with those on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath day was over. Now we know that privately at this point, Jesus is already pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable on the Sabbath as far as healing is concerned. In a private sense, he has already gone into the house and healed Simon's mother-in-law. In fact, later on, we're going to find out that this becomes a point of contention between Jesus and the Pharisees over whether or not it's acceptable to heal on the Sabbath. But the people, by their traditions and by their understanding, bring to this miracle worker someone who has just begun to heal. They've heard about what happened in the synagogue, and they come out en masse to Jesus. So the Sabbath has ended, and then begins the healing and the casting out of demons. Again, a distinguishing feature in Mark is that he always seems to distinguish between healing of diseases and the casting out of demons. In other words, both physical oppression and spiritual oppression. And yet, as he does this, and he, he evidently, everybody who brought these people to them with all these, as it says, various diseases and demon possession, he says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, it's interesting. How did the demons know him? Well, they knew him as the Son of God. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you find that they call him the Son of God. They recognize, as James chapter 2 tells us, they recognize who God is. They know a lot of truths about God and especially about Jesus. And yet Jesus continues throughout his ministry to forbid the demons from revealing his identity. So here is the scene. 
needy people, both privately and publicly, have come to Jesus with their problems, or Jesus has been in the house and been revealed uh, the problem of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and every one of them is able to heal and to help. But there's a problem here that we discover later on as his ministry continues. In John chapter 6, verse 26, when he is relating to them why they are following him and coming to him after the feeding of the 5,000, he says, you're not coming to me, you're coming to get food. You see, the problem is people want results, they want miracles, but they don't want Jesus. These people are flocking to hear miracle healers. And, you know, people still do that today. Now, it may not be as common on our airways, but there was a time, particularly in our country, where so-called faith healers would come and people would flock to them, seeking to have their diseases healed. Now, today, we perhaps have more commonly motivational speakers. Those when we feel down and out or we feel like we cannot do what we like to do or we don't uh, have enough, as we call it, self-esteem or whatever it might be, we hire motivational speakers and give them lots of money in order to tell us how to be better people. We also have tech gurus who tell us how the world is going to be better if we just use their technology or do other things. And we flock to hear these different individuals because we want our life to be better, simpler, easier, whatever it can be. And we flock to these individuals. But this passage reminds us of two things. First of all, people do have real needs. These were not people faking an illness. These were not people who didn't have pains and aches, who didn't have demon possession or other things. They had real needs, and they had a real desire for help and for answers. But they didn't necessarily know who Jesus really was. And yet, Jesus came to serve. Imagine how much pressure or how much it might have taken to be interacting with all these individuals coming to him with all these problems. Who knows how many hours this took place. Jesus gets up early the next morning, as it indicates, while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place and prayed. He was probably exhausted. He probably needed some time away. My son wrote us a letter that we got this week, and he said the thing he missed most in basic training was time to himself. Private time. We all need it. We all crave it from time to time. Even the most extrovert amongst us at times needs to be away from people. But what do we do in our private time? Here's what Jesus did. First of all, he began with prayer. You know, this would become the pattern that Jesus has in times of tension. In chapter 6, verse 46, it says he went off and prayed after feeding the 5,000 and walking on water, a time of great tension. In chapter 14, verse 32, when he's about to be arrested, he's gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, and what does he do there? He prays. 
it's important for us to pray in times of great tension. But this prayer is also a time of intercession. You see, Jesus, as we find out the content of his prayers in different places, it doesn't tell us what the content here is in Mark. We know in one place, in chapter 17 of John, in the high priestly prayer, he is praying and interceding on behalf of not only his disciples, but on behalf of everyone who will believe upon his name, even those who have not seen him and will not see him in person. So what does it mean that he is in prayer in intercession for others? It means he's exhibiting the office of a priest. This is what intercession does. When you pray on behalf of others, you are asking for God to intervene in their lives. And Jesus, we are told, is the one mediator between God and men. It is his intercession that was so important in the time of his ministry, not only for himself, but on behalf of his people. But notice the other thing that happens. This is not the thing that necessarily we plan in our private time. There's prayer. He's interceding on behalf of the people, and then there's interruption. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Interruption. We don't like it. Sometimes when we think we're about to get something done and we're interrupted, we think, oh, I can't believe so-and-so has come by at this particular time. But notice Jesus' reaction. He goes. It's okay to be interrupted. Sometimes people will come to my office and will apologize for coming in and interrupting my studies, and that's part of my calling, part of my job, is to work with people. That's okay. And I don't mean that as, that's okay, although I don't want you to do it again. I mean, it is, that's okay, that's what a servant is willing to do, to be interrupted from his time in order to serve others. And it's interesting, the word that's used here is, they tracked him down. In other words, where is he? We need him. There's people wanting him. Everybody is looking for you. In other words, there's more people to heal. There's more people to hear your teaching. In particular, they may be thinking of the kind of ministry they expect from a Messiah, which would be one who is charismatic and gets great crowds and will eventually set up their own kingdom. Did they want him or did they want his power? That was private time. But then, of course, he's interrupted to get to public time. Verse 38, he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now here he's been, so far, there's more words describing his healing and casting out of demons than his preaching. His sermon, according to Mark, was pretty short. You remember the first sermon? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And then the second thing that's mentioned about his preaching or teaching is that he had authority. Even the demons obeyed him. But Jesus said, I came for the purpose of preaching. And yet, after verse 39 in the book of Mark, after chapter 1, verse 39, we never see him 
described as preaching or proclaiming. Again, we see him teaching, yes, but we don't see this idea or this concept of public proclamation preaching in the same way. This word is never used again with Jesus in the book of Mark, and yet he says, I came for this purpose to preach. Well, after all, Jesus is also exhibiting the prophet or the office of a prophet. For this I came out. What does a preacher do? A preacher, either a prophet who's proclaiming God's word, is revealing God's word for the first time to his people. For us today, a preacher is proclaiming God's word as written in scriptures and applying it to our lives. Preaching, so very important. Proclaiming the word of God. And then the other thing he's doing is this. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, expelling demons. These two things, preaching and expelling demons. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say he's healing here, although he may very well have been. But what is the concept of expelling demons? Well, it's the third office that Jesus exhibits. Priest, prophet, and now king. Has power over his enemies, both physical and spiritual. I want to go back to this interruption. Jesus had a certain mission that he knew he was supposed to do. He was supposed to preach, he was supposed to exhibit the kingly office, the prophetic office, the priestly office, and yet, time and time again, there are those who will come up to him and interrupt him. I want you to imagine for just a minute you're going into a nice restaurant in Myrtle Beach. As you go into that restaurant, you gain your seat, you're ready to order, but then, unusually, a wave of guilt comes upon you because you realize you're going to interrupt the cooks and the waitresses. You realize that they have a schedule to go through. They've got to cook their meals. They've got to get ready all their salads and all those other things. The, the waiters have tables to prepare, and they have things to do. And you realize by sitting in their restaurant and being ready to order, you're interrupting their schedule. Now, that sounds silly, doesn't it? That's because they are to be, in a sense servants to you in that establishment. A true servant can handle the interruptions that God brings in their lives because he's there to serve. Here is Jesus, the Son of God. Did he not have an important mission? He came to die for the people of God. In one sense, I can think, Jesus thinking, well, you know, I don't really want to do this, but let's get it over with. And yet he had to spend three years here in ministry teaching people that would not understand him, healing people that would not be grateful, and dealing with people that were concerned about day-to-day -day things that had nothing to do with this mission that was the most important mission the world would ever know. And yet Jesus was willing to serve because he came as a servant. So we too, God may interrupt our day today, and he may cause us to stop our plans or to come and do something we had not expected 
In fact, Scripture tells us, particularly if we are those who are trained to be teachers, he tells us, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. What an important way to serve. But even as we do that, we recognize faith is dangerous to us. Here's one of the interruptions. A leper comes to him. Of course, most of you probably know what that means. A leper comes to him. A leper was an ostracized person. He was someone who has literally been kicked out of society. Because he has this visible disease in the skin, probably not what we know as leprosy today, which is sometimes given another name, Hansen's disease. Yet it was a one of a series of skin diseases in which it was a visible thing to everybody, and the priest would see him and determine that this person had this particular problem, and they would say, you cannot any longer live with your family. You cannot live in the city. You have to go outside the village. And evidently, there were so many lepers at times that there became leper colonies or leper little villages or communities. They would have to beg for their food because they could not work and be among society in that way. They were the poorest of the poor and the most outcast of anyone. And for this leper to come and approach somebody was a taboo. But he does. This leper comes to Jesus. He somehow has heard about the healing at the synagogue or the healing outside Simon's house and the miracles that are taking place, and he's thinking to himself, if Jesus can heal these individuals, surely he can heal the leper too. It says he implores him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. The faith of the leper is in Christ's power. He recognized that Jesus had the power to do this. If he had the power to cast a demon out, he had the power to heal the leper. If he had uh, the power to heal somebody who was lame or sick or had other physical conditions, surely he could heal even the leper. And yet he questioned something. He questioned Christ's willingness. It's interesting. Verse 41 says, moved with pity. The Greek here is very problematic to all those who, who study this scripture because the Greek is more along the line of angered. I think Jesus was angry at the idea that someone would question his compassion. A righteous anger, not, a, not an anger of revenge or anything like that because he actually heals the guy. He doesn't call him out for it or say anything to him. But the whole idea that God incarnate Remember how God is described in Scripture as merciful and compassionate, full of steadfast love. He, he's described as the kindest, most compassionate, promise-keeping God that anyone has ever heard of. And this guy, in his realization that Christ could heal him, questions whether or not he has the compassion to heal him. So what takes place? Angered or moved with pity, verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touched him again. An understanding that this was something different with this teacher, this preacher. To touch a leper 
you would be considering yourself unclean. But in Jesus, the opposite happens. The unclean becomes clean. Something different. He says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately means this. There was a visible difference at that moment. You could see his leprosy in one moment. And after Jesus touched him, the leprosy was gone. An amazing miracle. But I have to ask the question. Do you doubt sometimes Christ's compassion? In a time of crisis, when something terrible has happened, perhaps you've lost a loved one, perhaps you've been given a terrible diagnosis, perhaps you realize that someone close to you is suffering greatly. You know, Johnny Erickson taught of the, the wonderful woman of God who was disabled as a teenager after jumping into a body of water and breaking her spine. Johnny Erickson Tata asserts that nearly every tragically disabled victim goes through a desire to die. And then usually they go through a time of blaming God for refusing to intervene. That means they're accusing him of a lack of compassion. And in the heart of suffering, we can do that. Even sometimes the most mundane suffering. When we're going down the road and it looks like we can't make it to our next appointment. And we cry out to God, please get me to this appointment. And then we're disappointed when we're late. And yet even the hardest and most difficult circumstances of death and disease and crisis of all sorts, sometimes we question whether or not God had the compassion to do what we thought was best for us. We're like this leper. I know you can do it. But are you really a compassionate God? But he sees that Jesus is, at least in this circumstance. Jesus heals him. Sometimes he'll say no. Sometimes it's not the best for us. Sometimes it does not display the glory of God for us to be healed. Sometimes the glory of God is better described in the suffering servant who glorifies God even despite his suffering. But here, Jesus then gives him instruction. He says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. You see, even as the faith of the leper was in Christ's power, he lacks faith in Christ's wisdom. There are two commands here. First of all, tell no one. Secondly, show yourself to the priest with ceremonial evidence. Now on the second one, we don't know. Maybe he went, maybe he didn't. Scripture doesn't tell us. In fact, in any place where this circumstance is given this particular event in the life of Jesus, we don't know whether this leper ever did go to the priest. He very well could have because he wanted his life back. But maybe he didn't. Who knows? But we do know one thing. He was given a second command. That, or the, the first command here was, tell no one anything. Now, first of all, you think, why not? This guy had done an amazing, powerful, wonderful thing for this guy. 
think of this, Jesus touched a leper. Jesus cleansed the leper. This guy's life had been changed forever. Why wouldn't Jesus want this guy to go tell other people? And so, as anyone would in that circumstance, I think they could, were just bubbling over. They had to tell everybody they could come across, and he did. So this command is given disobedience. Verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Here's a disobedience. And the sense here is it's an immediate disobedience. It's not as if he said uh, he, he tried for 10 or 15 minutes or an hour or two hours or a day to, to withhold himself from telling other people. It says, it says, but departing, he began to preach much and to publish the word. In other words, Jesus said two things. One, show yourself to the priest and so forth so that you can get your, your, your uh, situation back in order, go back to your family, get back to work, whatever you need to do. But the first one was, don't tell anybody. And what does the guy do? He goes and tells everybody. He directly, immediately disobeyed Jesus. He had faith in Christ's power. He had now faith in Christ's willingness or compassion that may not have been there before. But he didn't have faith in God's wisdom by obeying his commands. And the results were like this. Why? What was one reason why Jesus said don't tell anybody? It's because now he couldn't go freely from town to town. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Every time he would tell somebody, don't go tell anybody, and they would go tell it, then his life became even more difficult because of the publicity of his healings. You see, the results were this. There was now no rest for Jesus. Jesus, because he was no longer able to enter a city openly, and because they continued to come to him from everywhere, because of those two things, now he had to go out at certain times in the night and go out for some way to get relief from being around people. I don't know what Jesus was like in his personality. I hope he wasn't an introvert. Boy, his, his ministry became even more difficult when those who experienced his grace refused to obey him. Now, think about your own life. Think about what scripture tells you. The word of God, Jesus, the living word, has told you in your life to obey. Perhaps there's a particular thing in your life that you're struggling with at this particular moment. Perhaps it's a, a besetting sin, or perhaps it's something that you know is right or wrong, and you think that perhaps it's not really that important, and perhaps by faith you think, I can just go live my life and follow Jesus, and it won't matter. When you see that even disobeying the command not to tell other people about Jesus' miracles, that disobedience had great effects on the ministry of Christ. Do you still think that following Christ's wisdom is unimportant? You see, our obedience reflects our faith and prevents barriers to the work of Christ as others see our lives 
and as we are called to serve others. Now, there's no doubt that everyone in this room has needs. We do. I had an additional need this morning for help with my back because it went out for whatever reason. Some are more evident than others. Some are very visible needs. Sometimes we know what the need of someone else is. Sometimes we have no idea what their needs are. But face it, if you want the Jesus who is the Son of God, who is perfect and holy and wants us to be the same after we come to faith, or do we want a magic genie who grants our every wish? Would I like my back pain to go away? Yes. I wish when Bruce prayed over me this morning when I was sitting up here in my office chair that immediately Jesus said, okay, it's going to be gone. I wanted that. I still want that, especially since I'm supposed to go on a little trip Tuesday and Wednesday out of town with my kids. And I really would like that to happen. But I also know that whatever God's will is, that is my purpose. Do you want Jesus Christ or do you want someone to say, you're wonderful? That's what people want in our society today. Parents want their children to be called the most wonderful students I've ever had in my class by their teachers, even if it's not true. People in work want to be the employees that everybody says, you are the most wonderful employee I've ever had, even if they're terrible, they're always late to work, and there's no reason to say such a thing. All of us want to be told we are great, wonderful people in the society and the family around us, and we want that from other people. But if we're believers, what we want is the Jesus of the scriptures. Yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he's able to do powerful and wonderful things. But he also says, if you follow me, you will suffer. He also says, if you follow me, there will be those who persecute you. He says, if you follow me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He also says, if you are my friend, because you are my friends and you love me, you will follow my commands. And yet Jesus says, this is the way. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think this passage reminds me, am I seeking the power of Jesus? Or am I seeking Jesus? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, as we ponder these words, as we know what we desire in our hearts, we pray that your spirit would help us to desire not only relief from pain, not only relief from the consequences of our sins, but Lord, that we would want you, Jesus that we would want you in all your glory, that we would want you even when it's costly to follow you and you tell us to pick up your cross and follow me. We pray these things in Jesus' name.